Hi everyone, welcome back to the Media Mates podcast. My name's Ralph Tucker. Each week I'll chat to somebody I've met from my career in and around the media industry. All of them have such great stories to tell. I'm not Michael Parkinson or Andrew Denton, but I do enjoy talking to interesting media people about where they've been, where they're headed next, and everything else in between. My guest today is Craig Gabriel. He's been covering the tennis circuit for over 30 years for radio stations across the country and indeed the world. He's got one of the most recognisable voices when it comes to sports reporting and more particularly tennis. We chat about how it all started for him, what it's like being on the circuit full time, his least favourite player and why he believes Nick Kyrgios cops a bad rap. Craig Gabriel, welcome to the Media Mates podcast. Ralph, good to be with you. Nice to see you again. Good to see you too. Now, I'm sure this is a question that you get asked a lot. You've got the world's best job, right? (laughs) Yeah, that's been thrown at me a few times, yeah. But then I I respond with, how how will you react when you're on call 24 hours a day and at 3 o'clock in the morning if you're in London, you get a phone call, are you ready to go on air? (laughs) And you've got to sound awake and and alert and all that. (laughs) How did it all begin for you? Well, I always wanted to play. Um, I wanted to play tennis. I wanted to be on the circuit. It was my passion. It was my dream. And and I gave it a shot. Um, But realized pretty quickly that I was going to go bankrupt doing anything like that. How good were you? Um, You know, in the overall scheme of things, pretty bad. Um, When you compare some of the people that um, I would have been coming up against, um, I remember playing uh, a satellite circuit in South Africa, and I've still got the program from that and, and the draw sheet in there. And, and uh, amongst the players in the draw were Kevin Curran, yes, Wimbledon finalist and Australian Open, and Johan Creek, two-time winner of the Australian Open. Um, you know, so it, it was it was um, it was a baptism with f- of fire, and um, you know, obviously. I was never going to match it with those sort of guys, and this was the next best avenue to get into. And how did you manage to get all of the radio stations on board and, and do all of those things? Because I'd imagine that takes some networking and some doing. Well, as I said, the sport was always my passion. I knew about the sport. I followed it constantly. And um, I approached Today FM in the, in its very early days uh, starting as a radio sta- station in Sydney and and there was a news director there named Warren Burr who decided to give me a bit of a chance and um other people in the newsroom at that time kept on telling Warren Burr well you flick this guy you know <laughs> um but uh, he had the confidence in me and and that's how things started it was all step by step by step, um, you know, and, and uh, things just developed after that and one thing led to another and, and, and I was, like, I guess, moonlighting at that stage as well because I was working for the Premier's Department. Really? Um, yeah, I was the administrative person for the Historic Houses Trust. Okay. Because I also have a passion for antiques and old things and stuff right. like that. So, you know, that, that had my interest as well, but always who was the premier at the time i honestly don't remember um <laughs> i have no idea but it was probably not my political party <laughs> <laughs> so you know and and um i still kept on with my tennis interests and and as i said did a little bit of moonlighting on weekends uh would go off to the sydney tournament when it, when that was on and 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 cover that and uh you know one thing led to another so it starts off here in Australia, obviously, and mm. then it, what, do you just turn up at Wimbledon? Do you turn up at no. the French Open? How does <laughs> it go from, you know, getting that? Because I'd imagine the, the tennis uh, media is a very much clicky kind of group and it's not yeah. an easy one to break into given a lot of these guys are travelling around the world for a vast majority of the year. Well, that, that's true. I think when I started... And, and I was making the initial inroads, it was a lot easier. I think now um, it, things are so much tougher. Um, media outlets don't really engage the services of a lot of freelancers. I mean, when they can just rip and read and get things straight off the wire services and things like that. But um, I was fortunate uh, 
to get in early. Um, and because this is before pay TV, right? Oh, absolutely. So, you know, the, the tennis tournaments every week aren't shown live on, on mm-hmm. Fox Sports and things like that. And I, I can recall even before um, pay TV started is that, you know, the only way that you'd find out about the tournaments would be via the wire services. So to have somebody like you at a tournament mm. was invaluable because you're able to provide a voice report, but you're also able to provide audio grabs. The of sound the bites, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and then you, you get to know the players and you build up a relationship and a friendship with them. And, and in those early days, it was so much easier to um, develop friendships and relationships and associations with the players. Now it is way tougher because there's so many quote unquote minders around them and, and the, and the, the, uh, the various associations, um, you know, are almost like guarding the players. Um, you know, it's, it's so difficult these days compared to before, um, to get close to them. And in my mind, things changed really, um, the the year Monica Seles was stabbed. Right. That for me, that was the the, so the defining. Right. Yeah, that was the defining line. That that's when things crossed over. I mean, I, I remember in the eighties, late eighties, even to, into the very early nineties. Um, you know, the invitations to all the player parties. You don't really see that so much these days. Um, and you know, you're you're at the in on the park in London or, or at the Pierre in New York and you're on a dance floor with Chris Evert or Martina Navratilova <laughs> um, and just having a great time and, and developing, developing friendships with Ivan Lendl and being close and traveling al- right alongside him. And, you so know, many of you were probably more welcomed in those yeah. days and not seen as the, the enemy who was going to expose them in some kind of, you know, ridiculous story. Absolutely. Um, there was trust. And I don't think the players have that as much trust these days of the media. Um, is that their fault, or is it the fault of the various associations? I, I think it's it's there's a combination. I wouldn't say fault lies with just one area. I think the media has a lot to answer for um, in the way they've tre- treated players, and and they've treated them like you know entertainment celebrities um you know the paparazzi and 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 all that sort of stuff and and i think then there's also the managers and the agents who are protective of these players so many players came through when they were so young and and i think as uh, areas of the media um took advantage of them you know so Things changed in in that regard as well, and then the associations decided, well, we better step in and and uh, you know get our pound of flesh and make sure it looks like we're doing a, a role. In particular, the women's tour, um, you know that we we have an active interest in this. So um, you know, it, it it it's a lot of different areas that contributed to things separating, you know, not being the same. And do you think that that also takes the personalities out yes. of the game as well? Because they're not a, you're being the conduit, not able yes. to tell the story about the player because they're so shackled. Yeah, absolutely. Um, not being as close to the players now, you 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 do sort of lose on their personalities and what they're like, and and you know getting that across to the public. Um, you know, I remember with Yannick Noah um, going to dinner with him here in Sydney. Um, you know. I, I can't see that really happening these days. So you wouldn't go out for a meal with Novak Djokovic no, for argument's no, sake? <laughs> no, absolutely not. Uh, you know, um, that just doesn't happen these days. Uh, I mentioned when you first got started there, what were the biggest challenges for you to get on the circuit and become a full-time tennis reporter? Because obviously there are so many tournaments that mm-hmm. are happening around the globe every week. Mm-hmm. It must take a bit to sustain that income-wise because you've got to stay in the hotel for uh, two weeks and you've got to get uh, a flight from so forth. Um, you know, you might be in, you know, Keepers Gain one week and the next week you might be in Barcelona, for, for, for example. So how was that as a challenge trying to, number one, get to all the tournaments and I guess get accredited but also trying to sustain it financially? Yeah, um, it wasn't easy, 
and I think what made it important for me is to not just concentrate on the actual broadcast side of things or even the writing side of things. Um, I branched out into a lot of different areas as a media manager with tournaments, um, working directly with players. I managed um, a player, um, Christo van Rensburg, who's one of my really good friends, a player from South Africa, um, who reached what, number two in the world in doubles right. and won the Australian Open. Um, you know, so there were a lot of different areas that I moved into um, in an effort to um, you keep know, on the tour, sustain things. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, and and you know, I, I I didn't want to just be somebody that was reporting it as, as much as I loved doing it and getting that message across. I wanted variety, and right. and and what I do now, the way it started and and has developed is is something that I, I like the 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 variety of of what I do. Has media always fascinated you? Because you've got to have a a certain skill for that kind of yep. thing. And that's something you've obviously developed over the years. You mentioned there you did some writing and, and you've done a whole lot of different things now, which you have to do because, you know, if you're there at the tournament, they want you to do a TV spot, they want you to do a radio spot, and they want you to do some writing as well. Uh, like I said, your interest in media, has mm-hmm. that always been the case? Yeah, always. I've always had an interest in the media. I, I, even in, in high school, uh, I used to love writing. And and uh, I remember one my English teacher, um, Julie Sutton, would mark me eleven out of ten. Um, <laughs> I used to love writing, but in also in school I used to love writing about the entertainment world. Um, I was fascinated with film, loved film, still do. Yeah. Um, but the media, yes. I love advertising. I, you know, a lot of times on television, I'm more fixated on on the the ads that yeah, that happen, <laughs> um, you know. But PR, advertising, media, promotion, um, all that interests me. Who taught you? Who were your mentors in the early days? Of act of media or, or actually playing? Uh, I guess. Well, we can cover both of. Yeah. Uh, uh, playing wise. Well, playing wise, I was originally coached by a man named Vic Edwards, um, who pretty much discovered Yvonne Gulagon. Right. Um, and and he was he was my first coach, and um, a, another gentleman who both now passed on, um, Bob uh, Norm Hewitt, who is the father of the dis- unfortunately disgraced tennis player, Bob Hewitt. Mm. Um, and then Bill Bowery, um, right. an Australian Open winner, um, did a bit of coaching with me. So, um, you know, the, on that side, it was there. I think Bill Bill was was very, very polite and, to- and you know, would never tell me you're never going to make it. <laughs> Encouraging. <you know? laughs> Positive um, reinforcement. But um, on the media side, I, um, again, I was always fascinated with it. and in a, And – I taught myself a lot of it, right? But I have to acknowledge Warren Burr in in giving me direction and guidance and tutoring and 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 things like that, um, you know. And and there was another gentleman, Frank Avis, um, who was also a news director in the later stages at Today FM, um, who who helped me a lot. Um, so so those were a couple of the people that um, were instrumental. There's a couple of guys from here, from what I can recall, that did the circuit. There was you, there's Graham Agars, mm-hmm. and I think Frank Vardaniket also was was doing it. Do you guys have any kind of relationship? Because obviously you were working for rival networks yeah. and always sort of uh, back in those days I think you were, were probably trying to get the story as such. Whereas- yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't count Fra- Frank Vardaniger in the group. No. Um, there was actually three of us in the right. early stages. There was Agars, yep. myself, and another guy, Mark Fogarty. Okay. Who yep. went more into motor um, um, writing about motor cars and things like that and motor racing. And the three of us would travel a lot together, um, you know, sometimes share rooms, et cetera. But, but we, we became known as the three amigos on the tennis tour. And, and, and at the French Open, we'd set up a corner just for the three of us. Um, you know, we had signs put up, Strine spoken here. And John Fitzgerald came in one, one afternoon and said, mate, what's Strine? <laughs> um, you know, so, 
that you know we were the three original ones really and um you know that's and we fed off one another and 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 worked with one another and helped each other out because there was so much going on you know it was the best way of doing it you know if somebody had to go off to this press conference because there was another one another one was happening your rivals are so often your best friend on the yeah, road aren't they yeah <clears throat> absolutely i mean obviously we've we've all gone our own separate ways you know since um, Agos is still around to a lesser degree. Fogarty's not around at all in tennis, and and um, I'm the one really carrying the flag. Do you ever get sick of living out of a suitcase? No, no really, no. You enjoy traveling around year yeah, on year, I, and going I do. to different cities, and and all of that. Because I think, how long have you been doing it for now? It's over thirty years. Wow. And look, the thing is, um, to what was of benefit to me. I, I didn't just start traveling on the tennis tour. That was, wasn't the beginning of my travels. I've been traveling since I was a baby. Right. Um, so I'm totally used to it. It's nothing new. It was never anything new to me. I was totally comfortable with being on an aircraft, just like my two nephews. I mean, they've been traveling since the age of one and two. Um, you know, so very, very used to it. And, um, it didn't, it didn't bother me. What does bother me on the travel aspect is when I'm away for an incredible length of time. Right. Um, a three week trip is a short trip. Yes. But there are times in the year when I'm away for two months straight. I think the one of the, the worst trips I ever did was 1988. And I remember it so well. I was away seven straight months. Yeah, that's tough. That was really tough. So you're almost like a player, really. Yeah. You're going from tournament to tournament yeah, to tournament to tournament. And you can see why some of these guys or some of these girls burn out because that must take its toll. Yeah, it, it does take its toll. Um, it certainly does. Um, but, you know, it, it, it's also so different between what we do and what the players do. I mean, the players are, you know, that. Not every player is there till the very end. No, for, and from the very beginning. Whereas somebody like myself is there from the first ball to the last ball that's played at a tournament, um, and putting in fifteen, sixteen, up to twenty hours a day. I was going to say, and having the relationship back to Australia, where the time mm-hmm. zones Absolutely. don't match, match up, as you mentioned earlier must be quite taxing. Yeah. You must like get to the end of a Grand Slam in particular where there's obviously a heightened interest in the tournaments where you are just physically exhausted. Oh, you, you certainly are. Um, and, and you know, this is w- what I find amusing when people give me a hard time because I'm flying at the front of a plane. Um, <laughs> if I had to fly at the Seek back... 1A? Uh, not always. On, on some planes, I'd rather not have 1A. Um, on an A380, I don't go for 1A. <laughs> um, because it, it, it's, it, it, it is such a grind. It is so tough. And you're getting off a plane and going straight to work. And, and you know, most people that are, if they do, are traveling on the tour, they're working for a newspaper or whatever. You know they're based in the UK and they're just going across the uh, the you know, the channel. Yeah. Uh, or you know it's a six hour flight to to the US. Right. You know whereas almost every trip I'm doing out of Australia um, is is twenty four hours. You know if I'm flying through to New York or through to London or or something like that. I mean I I was um, I w- my last trip of of twenty fifteen internationally was to Prague uh, as a first stop. Right. I went Sydney, Melbourne, Dubai, Prague, and, and you know that was about twenty three hours. So you know it takes. You'd, its ha- you'd have some of the best remedies for jet lag, then, wouldn't you? Um, you know what? I I actually don't bother. Um, I have no trouble sleeping on a plane. Yes, okay, I have a bed and all that sort yes. of stuff. Um, absolutely, you know, I I, I take. But you that haven't on board. always had that, though. No, I haven't always had that. But even then. You, sure, you can have a bed and you can you can sleep really well, but I can also sleep standing up, and that's that's not a lie. Seriously, <laughs> um, you know, it it still takes its toll when 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 um, you know you've got ten time time differences to worry about. Yeah, um, are there some tournaments that you don't look forward to? You think, oh, <sighs> I'm going back to this dog of a place. What am I doing this for? <laughs> I never look at it as what am I doing this for, but yeah, there are tournaments that I'm not partial to that I go to. 
um, you know, the Queen's Club tournament in London before right. Wimbledon is, is one that I, I really don't care for. Why is that? Um, I just don't care for the event. It's, it's, it's crowded. Um, it's dirty. It's smelly. Um, you know, the, the food is hideous. And, um, you know, I just don't, in, it's not a tournament that I really enjoy. And, and the people, um, you know, like the, 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 press officers or whatever, they have this segregation situation. You know, the British media would get all this, dear boy, but you're there. Um, you know, it, it's right. it's not an event that I really enjoy. And I, I really, I go to it because it's just nice being in a place for an extended period of time. Yes. Because you've got Wimbledon soon after and things like that, and you can you can set up shop for five weeks, four weeks, um, you know, in one spot. On the flip side of that, are there tournaments mm. that you really look forward to yeah. going to? Yeah, absolutely. Monte Carlo? Um, I haven't done Monte Carlo tournament for quite a while. Right. Um, because the, 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 and the only reason for that is because I do some North American events in March, early April, and then Monte Carlo is like two weeks after that. So I fly back after those American hard courts um, miss a lot of the clays these days and then go back to Europe for the French in you through you in Europe in England for Wimbledon and all that so that's like a two month trip yeah um so but Monte Carlo was definitely one of my favorite tournaments I mean gosh it was it was just magical you you, you know the the country club over there is is like built on or let's call it steps on um, up a cliff right and it's just the Mediterranean in front of you Amazing. It's, it's, it is absolutely magical. And, and you know, um, a similar one for views is, is Indian Wells. Um, magical. You're in the middle of the California desert, but you're surrounded by mountains and just pristine lawns and golf courses. And, and I hate golf. I think it's the most boring thing around. Um, but to, to look at this sort of scenery is, is magical. When you have relationships with players, as you mentioned before, and mm-hmm. it was a lot – easier to sort of cultivate them back in the day. Do you pinch yourself? You just yeah. I'm sitting down here, I'm having lunch with Andre Agassi or I'm oh okay, there's Ivan Lendl. Um g'day mate, how are you going? And yeah. the, is is that kind of a bit surreal for you? For someone that had ambitions to play on the circuit, mm-hmm. obviously some of these guys would have been almost heroes of yours and now they're your close mates. Well yeah, look I don't see it as a pinch myself situation anymore. Um, I guess, you know, I'm blasé about it. Oh, Ivan, get on the phone. Um, <laughs> you know, um, uh, uh, you know, we, we could be on the phone for an hour. Um, you know, it's what I find brilliant is to be alongside Rod Laver. Um, Ken Rose, Ken Rose was used, was, was a, a neighbor of mine to not too long ago. Um, and and I'm still in awe of Rod Laver as much as I see him. Of course, yeah. Um, Ivan is, I mean, I, I think the absolute world of Ivan. He, he's one of my close friends, and his wife Samantha, and 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 the kids, the, the her kids. They're all grown up, um, you know, young ladies. Um, but you know, I've seen them since babies. So it's a different friendship. Same with Stefan Edberg and Boris. Um, you know, like sitting in the car with, with Pete Sampras, just chatting away nonstop, Jim Curry. You know. So I'm how, a bit how blasé. Does all, how does that all start? How do you, as tennis guy, interviewing them, mm-hmm. become their friends? Like how it goes back to that trust thing I yeah, mentioned earlier. Absolutely. Um, you, you know, it is that. Um, and and things just develop. You see them so much. And you and as I said, in those days, you were, you had so much more – closer access to them and and things just develop um i remember jim courier once saying to me after jim courier was tough when he was a player i never had a problem with him i always got on very well with jim courier but most of the other media would dismiss him oh we can't bear to talk to him him. um and i remember when he retired and he started doing television commentary we, we, we crossed paths at wimbledon and uh he said to me this one evening, he said, if I only knew how hard you guys work and have worked, 
I would have been beep a lot nicer to you all. <laughs> <laughs> there must be players, other players like that that were just so prickly and so hard yeah. to deal with. I mean, um, I do recall back when we used to work together, yeah. Marcello Rios oh, was one yes, of your favourites. I favorites. knew he would bring that up. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I, I still to this day, I cannot deal with him. He was like world number one, right? And- he, for a very brief time, yeah. thankfully, very brief. <laughs> um, awful. Um, you know, I always felt that he needed to be put under a shower with a scrubbing brush. He always struck me as being dirty. Um, you know, um, Cashy, Pat, Pat and I had a love-hate relationship. Right. Um, and now we get on like a house on fire. It's um, like the pressure's gone oh, from him, like so he doesn't Johnny have Mack, to worry about another one. Yeah, you know, um, it's it, it's it's hysterical dealing with Johnny Mac. It really is. Um, In what sense? Oh, he's he's a funny guy, and um, just get on so well. Um, Mats Villander, another one, so easy to get along with. Um, you know what I feel sad about is that the media the young media tennis media that are around now um in years to come i cannot see them having the relationship i have with these guys from the past right with the same sort of relationship that they would you know with with the current crop with rafa novak roger and all those sort of guys yeah so like you know they're not going to be hanging out with andy Absolutely. murray in 25 years time because yeah. he's on the the circuit doing media yeah, and, and being exactly. invited to tournaments and stuff like that because yeah. he's a, a former champion then he's just going to be his own entity which yeah. is really sad in a way isn't yeah. it yeah look it, it really is sad and I, and I would say there was you know you were asking me before about who helped me and who inspired me. And there was another lady that I, I should have mentioned, Karen Scott, an Australian, and now lives in the United States. And 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 she was an, an agent manager for a lot of the players, and that also helped me. And, and, and she was a sounding board for me as well. And she managed Yvonne, she managed Jimmy Connors, and, and that was also a big opening for me, um, you know, to get in with these guys. And, and Karen will always say, I helped you. I started your career. <laughs> and I still work with her. Yeah, it's amazing that you've been able to develop those relationships over the years and continue them through. I guess what also helps you is you also uh, mentioned earlier about how you, you are a tournament uh, media director mm-hmm. for a lot of the, mm-hmm. the the events that go on throughout the year. What's that like wearing that other hat? Oh, I love it. You know, because I find I can see the balance then. Uh, I can see two sides of, of everything. Um, you know, I can see the demands a media person wants and what I would like also as a, as a media person. And then I can also see the other side where you, how you have to juggle it and, and make sure everybody gets – um, you know, their ounce, um, you know, to be able to, to, um, spread the players around and provide that publicity for events and, and, and paint an event in, in, in the best possible light. Has that become harder too because of the reluctance of the players or the player managers? Um, look, it, you've got to be, you've got to be creative. You've got to find ways. You can't always get players to do what you want them to do for a tournament. So you've got to be creative and try and come up with other ideas in an effort to promote the events. You I know? guess that becomes a little bit easier in somewhere like here in Sydney where, you know, you can, I don't know, take them across to the, the zoo or you can show them the, the, the you know, the harbour, although a lot of them well, have come here year in, year out. So yeah. it's like it's nothing new to them but – you're probably showing off the best of what we've got to offer here. Yeah, it's not as easy as it sounds because their commitments, they've got so many different commitments and they've got their schedules, pat, down pat and all that. So, you know, we were talking not long ago about, you know, we'd like to be able to take a player on the bridge climb, but it's three hours. Yes. You know, we don't have that time, that amount of time with the players. And the tours um, also set time limits on how long players are available because they've got their commitments to practice, they've got commitments to sponsors, they've got commitments to the tours themselves and and matches and training and all that sort of stuff. So um, it doesn't make it easy. Do you see a tournament such as Sydney 
as your opportunity to show your mates in the the other media that this is my town and this is how I run things? Um, no, look, it's not always. You know, sometimes you do. You time, feel like a host, or yeah, you do feel like a host, but at the same time, you've also got to uh, remember that you're also hosting a lot of other people that you that are also working at that you've got to be fair to everybody and you've also got to be firm at times um because you know the media can run amok hey i'm part of that as well <laughs> i can do that as well um you know so you've got to be fair to everybody um you know i'm a media director in shanghai at the shanghai rolex masters over there and and over there um i have to also work with the the local culture and the language um and that that adds another dimension to the whole thing and doesn't make it easy all the time and and you know there's so much um uh, with the local media staff over there are saving face yeah so i take on the role as the bad guy um and say to chinese photographers or chinese media no you're not going there you cannot go there <laughs> you know it's difficult for the local chinese media to uh officers to be able to do that you mentioned local media there from tournament to tournament mm-hmm. as someone who goes on the road all of the time there must be and i know you're particularly fond of some of the american uh journalists that <laughs> turn up for the one tournament or whatever yeah. that can be quite it, it for someone that is there year round? Is that just an annoyance for you? Are you embarrassed for them that they come in and try and you know take over? Um, I I feel embarrassed for them um, because this is their moment. You know, um, Roger Federer is in town, and and Roger is absolutely amazing with the media. Uh, the time he spends with the media is phenomenal. And he seems patient too. And he's patient about it. Sometimes, you know, you, you feel that, oh, you know, he wants to get going and all that. Um, but, you know, he's doing it in English. He's doing it in French. He's doing it in Swiss German, sometimes high German, uh, even sometimes in Italian. Uh, and he's just know. come off a five-set loss exactly. perhaps. <laughs> exactly. You know, and, and this is, I mean, I have such admiration for somebody like him on in the, those sort of situations. Um, and you do get players who are totally impatient with some media, um, you know, and, and, and I feel sorry for, I mean, sometimes it, it's frustrating, but I also feel sorry for some of those media because as I said, it's their moment. The one time they're going to be, a, you know, in front of somebody like a Federer or a Nadal or, or, or somebody like that. Um, you know, those guys will be patient. It's some of the lower-ranked ones that don't have the patience. We mentioned our great mate Marcello Rios yeah. earlier on. Um, are there any other players that you just think, man, you just don't get it? Um, no, I wouldn't say. I don't think so. Not that I can remember off the top. Um I feel that there are some players around that maybe could be a little bit more cooperative. Um, you know, even they don't have, they don't have to prove themselves at all, but, um, you know, they, they could be a little bit, still a little bit more cooperative. Um, and, and that makes it tough, especially when you're trying to get information out. Um, you know, and you're trying for a 20 second soundbite and all you're going to get is three seconds. Mm-hmm. It, it gets very difficult. <laughs> it must be very it, it, It's taxing. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. I can understand that. My early relationship with you was, I guess, a case of when people in the sports department were too busy doing other yeah. things and I had to take you down the yeah. line and you were just a voice at the end of the, yeah. the line, right? And this is not, this is pre-internet, so there's no photos around and, there's this voice at the end of the the thing. It's, it's like, <laughs> let's get it done, okay? So, I, you know, I, there it is, Craig. I'm doing Craig. And I think it took me about 10 years before I actually met you face-to-face. Yeah, probably. It's just like people ask, Craig Gabriel, what's he like? He's got this wonderful accent. And it's just like you do have this weird mesh of is it Australian? It's is it over. English? Is yeah. it uh, uh, part American? Yeah. What is it? Uh, it's um, United Nations. <laughs> and, and, you know, I think that... Has what's um, 
distinguished me from from everybody else um because your it, voice yeah it's 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 picked up i have come through passport control at, at sydney going through and coming back in in, in australia at sydney or uh, even melbourne um and they've looked up oh it's you you know, um, where are you going to? What, what's the event you're going to now? And, and that's where they've picked it up from. So, um, you know, and, and that's, you know, you feel pretty chuffed with that. I was going to say, do you get a kick out of that? The fact yeah, that, you know, you've been doing 2GB for, what, 25 it's years It's almost now? 25 years, almost 25 years. Wow. And also there's been a number of other radio stations yep. in Australia that and you've overseas, done. And overseas, yeah. A lot yeah. overseas and, and, and with Sky News in Australia. And um, I worked with, with CCTV in China. I did some stuff for a while with the BBC uh, as well, BBC TV World Service. So uh, it's been spread right across. I mean, I have a lot of um, contact in South Africa also. So um, it's gone all all over the world, and and I, I, I mean it's it's been I've been very fortunate with the whole thing. How long do you plan on I don't doing know. it for? I've I've been asked that. I've got no thoughts on on stopping. Um, you know, other people may may make that decision for me. You never know in this business. <laughs> no, correct. Um, but you but you're a survivor, right? Like, oh, it's, look, it's, it's, you would have had a few rocky moments in that in that time. Yeah. So I guess you you keep going as long as people you feel wanted. Look, yeah, absolutely. And and um, I don't you know I don't know what I would do. You know, I'm not somebody that could do a nine to five job. Not a chance. Um, you know, I I need to f- be doing something all all the time. So, do you have any other hobbies outside of? of uh, yeah, I mean, I, um, I I have a passion for antiques and uh, and art. Um, you know, and and when I have time at a lot of these pl- um, cities, in, in particular London, um, you know, I will go to the to the antique shows or go go to the galleries and and you know Chinese art and 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 blue and white and Indian art and all that um I'm fascinated by and I think that's a legacy of growing up in Asia and growing up in India and 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 seeing it all and and you know being very fortunate with 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 my parents um and and they had um a love of all that sort of stuff and be able to see that and the history and things like that and i mean history was my favorite subject in 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 school um and uh you know i've been very very lucky and as i said i've been traveling since since i was born you're kind of like a player in many ways yeah. aren't you like you've got a, plan, a nomad you've got to plan your schedule for the year yeah. it sounds like they they plan they obviously plan their their life around different tournaments and each year they pick and choose which mm-hmm. ones they want to go to i'd imagine you're the same how do you manage your health in regards to okay there's a lot of travel there's a lot of flying um there's a whole lot of you know, passing through different time zones yep. and all of that. How do you manage that side yeah, of your life? That's not easy. That's that's the, probably the toughest part of the job um, because, you know, when you're at an event, you're eating at all weird times and, you know, you just don't, you can't stop. Um, you know, so uh, as an example in New York or even here at the Australian Open, um, you know, I, it might be like 11 o'clock at night and I might get something to eat um, or 12 and then it's not long after that you leave the stadium and going straight to bed, you know. So it's it's a problem, you know, with with weight and things like that. Yeah, I was going to say, like, you know, you've you're having meals at eleven, twelve o'clock at night. Mm-hmm. Um, you're going to sleep because you know you've got to be up early the yep. next day for radio yep. spots, and there it is. The food's just digesting away. Oh, in look, your absolutely. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, th- th- and that's the thing. That's the biggest, my biggest issue. Um, you know, and, and I'm not gonna, not going to deny. I mean, I enjoy the good life. I mean, I don't get out to restaurants and things like that when I'm at a tournament. No, but heck, I'm in the lounge and enjoying the champagne and things like that, or on board the aircraft. Um, and you know, why I, I'm not apologizing for that for at one moment. I mean, is that I, your kind I of think, is that your kind of reward post tournament? Yeah, that, that's that's my yes, that's a good way of putting uh, putting it. I mean, uh, you know, I've worked damn hard to get to where I, I, I am. Um, and, you know, I, I find it ridiculous that anybody wants to miser it, you know, enjoy it. You know, that's, that adds to your enjoyment of the job in my view. Well, I guess it's the little carrot at the, Absolutely. you know, uh, that's dangling there in front of you. You know that you're going to 
bust your ass for two weeks at a at a major tournament or even longer yeah um to get to that end point must be okay well now i can actually kick back and actually enjoy the fruits of this yeah i mean i remember a story i was with the british media we'd we'd finished the year-end championships in houston and uh we i was flying back to london um and one of them said don't you ever turn right when you walk on a plane and uh this is one of the brits and i said Yes, when I'm on Concord. <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. I love that answer. Oh, goodness. And his face would have dropped like a pie. Oh, he yeah. didn't say anything. And, 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 and one of his colleagues, I, I was in first on that flight. Um, he, he, he walked through and, and uh, he decided to, you know, chat with me in the first class cabin. And um, after a while, the flight attendant came to me and said, Sir, I'm afraid I do have to ask you to go back to your seat. So he's trudged back and and I turned to her and said, Oh, thanks so much for doing that because I didn't have the heart to tell him to go back. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We've got the summer of tennis, obviously, on the horizon now. Do you have any tips for us in terms of, I guess, is there players that we should be looking out for us. I mean, Novak's pretty much unstoppable oh, these days, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, he, he certainly is. I mean, um, we're talking about Novak now in um, Federer-esque terms. Um, you know, sure, Nadal dominated the sport for a while after Federer. Yes. Um, and Roger was always there. But Novak is dominating the sport like no other since, uh, you know, like Federer is the only example um, or comparison. And uh, he he's just outstanding. And I think, in my view, some of it has got to do with, with Djokovic saying, you guys, and I'm talking generally, you guys gave me such a, a lot of grief in my early days. Uh, stick this. And it's my time now. Um, because he was criticized a lot in his, by players, by media, yeah. all that sort of stuff. And, and, uh, it comes down know, to hard work, right? Uh, and he's turned it around. I mean, he was a sook when, in his early days. He'd quit, um, quit a match for nothing. Mm. Um, you know, and, and, uh, he's turned it around. He's realized, he realized what he was capable of doing. And now, you know, in, in my view, in, in his own mind, he's, he's, you know, turning his nose up at everybody else. And Serena is just an amazing yeah. story, isn't she? She just keeps on keeping on. Look, she does. Um, but the end must be oh, fairly close. <laughs> I would say she's got another two, three years. Yeah. Um, but again, also, I think with Serena, one of the, you know, when I made the point, I think there are players who've been around a lot, a long time who I still feel could be a little bit more cooperative in press conferences. Yes. I think Serena is one of those. Right. Um, and look, she doesn't care what anybody thinks. And, and she's done enough. She doesn't need to care what anybody else thinks. No. But when you compare Serena to Roger or Novak or Rafa, even Andy Murray. They get it. They, they are know there. the appetites out there. They, for- they know what their uh, obligation is. And also, then, surely they must understand what the fans yeah. want as well. I mean, I, I you, you know, as I said, no, uh, Roger does it in so many languages. Novak will do it in Serbian, in English, and he's also doing it in French. Rafa in Spanish and in English. Andy will do his in English or Scottish, if you can understand him. <laughs> um, but then he also separates and speaks to the British media on his own. After every press conference. Wow. Okay. I didn't know that. Yeah. Serena just wants to get out of there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, there are a lot of times, I mean, the US Open was a disaster. It's in Serena's reputation, you know, last, uh, this year. So, um, that's, that's what I, I feel a lot of the guys get it. Um, you know, and and some of the women don't. Nick Kyrgios. Yeah. Does he get a bad rap? Yes. What Why? he did was wrong. Absolutely, the incident on court um, during the American summer season was wrong. Nick is a great kid. He's 20 years old. He, he's been thrown into the limelight because of some amazing results. He is a phenomenal tennis player. He really is. 
and he's a funny guy. Um, and Has he played the media the wrong way? Um, by yes, ar- by possibly. arcing up, you yeah. know, when it could be, you know, like you said, he could be a, a bit antsy. Guy. He could be a little bit clever about it and oh, get yeah. them all on side. Yeah. You know, I think, you know, the the pressure was on him. Um, he didn't quite get it because of his age, because of his immaturity, uh, and and he's learnt so much. Is it Gen Y after all? Well, or yeah. even probably below that. One yeah. Below. Um, and he is. I genuinely say this, and I'm not just, you know, trying to kiss ass or anything like that. He is genuinely a nice guy. He's a funny guy. Um, I'm fortunate to get on with him and his manager, um, John Morris. And, and you know. His brother probably didn't help him in some of those yeah, situations. Yeah, probably didn't help. Um, uh, uh, yeah, I would I would agree with that. But then again. His brother is jumping to his, you know, his Nick's defense. And I can understand that as well. Um, I think a lot of people said things and they got, they had no clue about Greg Norman, Dawn Fraser, Judy Dalton, you know, stay out of it. You have got no clue. I mean, if Greg Norman could win, could have won a few more majors, then, you know, <laughs> seriously, um, you know, and, 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 that you know, I jumped to to, to Kyrgios's defense on on all those situations, um, because yes, he made a mistake. He absolutely made a mistake. But you know, it was a, the the fact is that the Australian media are not letting him get on with things. They keep harping, going back to the situation. I guess it's the modern day world that we live in is that we don't appreciate good stories yeah. anymore. We like sticking the boot in more. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I'll give you the example with, with Lendl. Lendl was detested by the American media, absolutely detested. They just didn't understand him. They didn't understand his humor. They didn't understand his accent, all that sort of stuff. After he retired, some of the biggest critics that he had would go, oh, oh hey, Ivan, Sorry, you're not around anymore. That was great, and all this sort of oh, stuff. Goodness. So two faced. Yeah. Um, we in Australia have got three in particular unbelievable young tennis players: Nick, Thanasi Kokonakis, and Bernie Tomic. You know, Bernie is—he's actually a very quiet guy. He got fired up on that on that day at Wimbledon with all his criticism yes. and stuff like that, but he was also being egged on. And Bernie was just silly not to realize that. He's got that Croatian oh, blood in yeah, him, you know. Absolutely. <laughs> Kokonakis is hysterical. He is such a funny guy. Um, and he's got such a game, but it's all these three are still developing. So have they got talent to make it to the top? Oh, no, I have no doubt. So we're talking world number one, Grand Slam. I mean, I don't want to be putting pressure. I wouldn't want to put pressure on them to say, yeah, they're going to be world number one. Yes, they're going to be definitely top ten. Yes, they're going to win uh, two, three majors or anything like that. You never know what's going to happen. You you don't know. Heaven forbid any of them get injured or or whatever could, could possibly happen. They have got to take things the way in their own stride um, and and just concentrate, focus, work hard, and things will happen. You know, they, they, they can have dreams, absolutely have dreams, but don't put the pressure on themselves um, and, you know, others outside don't put the pressure on them. And, and I can see that happening. I mean, there was so much. I mean, when, when Nick had that win – over Nadal at Wimbledon and saved a Wimbledon record nine match points against Richard Gasquet in the previous round, um, you know, he was the golden boy. He couldn't do anything wrong. Mate, everyone loves a bandwagon. Oh, Get on board. Bingo. That's exactly <laughs> it. So they're all on the negative bandwagon now. Yeah. And is, is it any, you know, uh, is, you know does, can anybody doubt why his back is up now? Um and and I can't speak highly enough of these three kids. Sam Stoza? Yep. I mean, she comes out here with this great expectation mm. every year and 
I don't know, is it nerves? Is yes. It, is, it, is it purely that? It, it, it comes down to that. It comes down to to the focus and the pressure and the nerves that are put on you know, she puts on herself because she wants to do well over here. Obviously she does. Um, but she's not unique in this. Pat Rafter never performed in Australia. Well, that's true. Amity Moresmo never performed at the French Open. Yeah, you know, it's it's nothing nothing unusual, but you know we feel it's a personal thing over here because it's Sam in Australia and all that sort of stuff. Um, you know, Tim Henman, what was it? Four Wimbledon semi-finals, but never went beyond that. That's an incredible achievement for four Wimbledon semi-finals. But he's seen as a failure, right? Absolutely. You know, so um, to just have the finger on Sam, uh, pointing on Sam uh, and saying, "Oh, pff, you know, what has she ever done?" Does she need somebody else to come through? Like you've got, you've mentioned you've, there's three boys coming through at the moment. Does she need somebody to share the load or share the expectation? Because you know, quite honestly, the other ladies that are in the, the draw from an Australian point of view, they're not in that category. Australian women were outnumbering the men um, on on the tour um, up till recently. You know, I think we had. Five, four, five Australian women in the top 100. It was struggling again. Yeah. Um, Casey Delacqua with her various injuries and illnesses and concussion now and all that. Uh, you know, she's taken a dive, which is really unfortunate because she was doing so well on the doubles tour. Ashley Barty lost the desire and the interest, burnt out, had to quit Quit tennis, has gone to play cricket. Yamila mm. um, Gajdasova has had her fair share of injuries. Um, you know, so... Sam is there trying hard to hold on um, and, and you'd like to see support around her, but I don't know if that's going to happen. I don't, look, I don't think it's a case of, of Sam, you know, desperately needing the support. We've got a couple of young, um, uh, uh, let's say, overseas recruits that are now Australians. Um, Alia Tomlanovic and uh, Daria Gavrilova. Um, you know, you who's, just, again? Yeah, <laughs> who's just got her Australian passport. So we've got a couple of young ones, um, transplanted Australians, yes. um, that, you know, hopefully could, could make some really solid inroads. Um, so, you know, it's me, Australian men's tennis is, is definitely blossoming at the moment. We need a, a bit more work and time on the women's side. Craig Gabriel, I look forward to hearing you over the summer. Thanks, Ralph. There he is, Craig Gabriel. He's certainly got a great job, hasn't he? And he's still so passionate about the sport of tennis, which is quite amazing given how long he's been doing it for. If you really enjoyed my chat with Craig today, please send him a tweet and let him know you heard it. He's at CrossCourt1 on Twitter. You can also follow us on Twitter, which is at MediaMatesAU, and check out the Facebook page. Most importantly, if you could subscribe in iTunes, that'd be great. It'll mean that you won't miss an episode. While you're there, please leave a rating or a review, and that way more people will learn about the show. Until next time, I'm Ralph Tucker, and this has been the Media Mates Podcast. Media Mates Podcast.